You're listening to TWN Champions, episode number four, Bugs. Champions, arise! to the Champions Countdown podcast, where we summon heroes from across space and time to populate our intergalactic museum, or something like that. This is episode number four. I'm Rebecca, and here with me is, he's your butterfly, sugar baby, it's Will. (laughs) I'm bugging out. (laughs) That song should have featured more of that in it. How you doing, Will? Have you seen any any bugs lately? Any, do, any new bugs? I'm doing pretty good. I have seen a lot of bugs because it is bug season now, officially, I think, which means they all want to seek refuge in our bathroom. Well, it sounds like that bugs you a little bit, Will. <laughs> uh, it does. I saw, actually, our first millipede yesterday I saw him, in the too, bathroom. but I left him alone. I knew you did. I knew you saw you him. Know, I have real like sort of laissez-faire attitude about most bugs in the house i'm just kind of like well they're there you know let let them let them romp around a little bit discover their mistakes and learn and grow well he did discover his mistake because i did get him and i did flush him but i should get credit because i did not pee on him which is the number (laughs) one that's the number one rule of bugs for boys there's something in your brain that (laughs) admit it (laughs) admit it to yourself or not but it's in there it stops when you're I don't know. I want to say like twenty-seven, but then after, <laughs> but then after that, you're like, okay, that's there's no need for this. It. There's no need for that indignity. I just don't. I just. I don't even know where to start with that. <laughs> I just don't even know where to start with that. He already has to get flushed. Why just add insult to injury? I agree. That's why I didn't do it. That's what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> you're like I'm a civilized. You're acting man. like I'm me from ten years ago. <laughs> this I'm is not horrible. responsible for him. <laughs> <laughs> That doesn't even enter a woman's... I respect bugs oh now. I respect oh bugs, which Lord. is why, why we're talking about it. Why'd you, why don't you just let him run wild and free? That's a question, hey, isn't it? Will in heaven. <laughs> what are we talking about today? We are talking about bugs. Uh, and I'll say it in an official way. On today's show, we're counting down our personal favorite takes on the bug archetype. We have a top nine this time. And I've been excited it's about this. It's a top eight. Oh, it's a top eight. We keep, kept going back and forth. It's a top eight this time. And I've been excited about this all week. I've been so excited about it. I've even been thinking of picks for Rebecca because mine weren't enough. I was trying to get in on her list because I love it. This is definitely a boy topic, but it's a good one. I have to tell you, I've not been excited about this. I've, I've not been. This is not my favorite thing to think about is bugs. Like, it's not a thing that I think of to be happy, you know. But I think, but you said you were happy with your picks, though. Yeah, my picks are real good, but okay. you know, I had to. You know how when you meditate, you have to like really concentrate. You're like, I'm going to bring my mind to stillness. Mm-hmm. 
I had to bring my mind to bugs. You have to find your way to bugs. Yeah, I did. Well, it'll be enjoyable because I enjoy it, and it'll be enjoyable because it'll, it'll be make enjo- you squirm, which is what bugs are supposed to do. It'll be enjoyable because I enjoy it. That is, <laughs> there's Will in a nutshell right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, bugs. This is a character archetype countdown show. Mm-hmm. So, let's just tell everybody how we decided, like, what what constitutes a bug or what kind of things we're looking for for our top eight today. Yeah, that... That's probably a, a good point because some of the some of these are kind of arbitrary for us, but I think we pretty much agreed that for us a bug is any type of insect that's not a spider. Yeah, no spiders don't. Spiders can be their own show. Yeah, we'll do a whole episode about yeah. spiders and worms and worms <laughs> and other gross things. <laughs> Will's just he's just trying for it. You're just gonna get some. You're but you like, said, but you had a good point because we both agreed agreed on that, and I think you sort of articulated why is that the spiders represent something different. Yeah, the the narratives around spiders are mm-hmm. usually are usually different than just like our insectoid narratives. Uh huh. And so, like for my countdown, I counted uh, insectoid creatures, right. That are like human or insect combos. Yeah. But then also I, I think it counts to have sort of, uh, popular culture representations of insects that have some kind of personality or <laughs> theme to them mm-hmm. also. Like, it, I, so I think that that counts too. And if it doesn't count, then you're going to be real disappointed <laughs> with several of my picks. But, um, just really briefly, I guess some of those themes that you see want like wind up in a lot of uh, popular culture representations of insects are like uh, invasion, um, Uh loss of control, Mm -hmm. loss of bodily autonomy, taint or corruption. Yeah. Those those kind of things. Yeah. I think think we were talking about uh, disease. Disease. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, like something systemic that's wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's where we see a lot of bugs. Not always. Sometimes it's just, you know, alien or otherworldly. And I think, I think we could pretty much assume, I mean, there's just sort of a human primal reaction to them. I mean, it has to be one of the first things we evolved as mammals about, you know, being wary of bugs for the deadly or compromising your system somehow. So there, there's just something, some primal theme there too, I think. Ew, a bug. Yeah. Awesome. Let me get that <laughs> off of you. Let me pick several out of your beard. So who is our, like bug guy that we are sort of referencing when we're, we're looking here. Like who is the Uber bug man? Well, see, sometimes person. we'll do this with these themes because we know it's inevitable you get them. So we, we have to be thinking about Jeff Goldblum's The Fly. Right. It was such that we even thought maybe that could be number one. Uh-huh. But since I think neither of us is very personally attached to that film, because it's gross, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no one's like, you know what movie I love watching and revisiting and watching all the time is David Cronenberg's The Fly. I mean, it is it is really cool. Sure. But- of course. And that's why, like, it's like the perfect representation of all right. of these themes because it, it is everything. Like, I think he said it was supposed to be a commentary on aging and disease. And a lot of people in the '80s sort of read it as a metaphor for um, the AIDS crisis. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, here's a guy loss of bodily control, turn it into a bug. It's disgusting. Gina Davis is like, "What have I gotten myself into again?" Uh-huh. You forget well, she's in that movie. She's, she's, she's in really everything good. with him. Yeah. They're just like a bug couple <laughs> all the time, everywhere, all the time. Thank God for that. But yeah, this is sort of like, I don't know, the gold standard for our list. Mm-hmm. We've got Jeff Goldblum in the fly. One of the one of the themes I, th- I think that shows up in a, a few of my picks too is there's 
there's uh, just that innate thing you distrust about bugs too, you know, and looking at a couple of clips for the fly when, when I was preparing for this, I, I was even just finding little snippets of dialogue um, where she'd say things like, uh, I can't understand you or what are you saying? You know, that kind of thing. And Ugh. there's just, there's just some, some sort of disconnect from you. It's, it's like uh, uber alienness of them. You know, you just can't read them. You don't understand them. They don't have individuality is you just sort of bend to the will of the hive kind of thing there's just something ups, humanly upsetting about bugs yeah and i guess maybe it is that sort of de-evolution like mm-hmm. the, the thought of deteriorating and becoming part of a hive mind which is why even things that aren't bugs like the borg sorry mm-hmm. if you picked the borg or <laughs> you know the zerg or just yeah any, the borg's any, a good idea any yeah. sort of swarm i guess that's yeah. why it's it's very upsetting to us it reminds you of your biology that could be compromised yeah and like Alan Moore talks about just render you meat real fast. It's really sort of disturbing. Yeah. One more thing, or trope, I guess, not a, a theme that shows up a lot that, you know, we, it probably was worth mentioning is the, like the giant bug thing, like the 50 foot bug thing. We see that a lot yeah. come up and that's probably the same thing as the Kaiju where it's just like a reaction to a nuclear threat type of stuff, like a nuclear apocalypse and radioactive imbued sort of thing. All right, well, since we're all squirming with anticipation, <laughs> would, you like I'm to, ready. would you like to start us off with your first pick? Number eight. Run, help! Help him! Run! Stay here. Okay, my first pick is both terrifying and beloved. And also there's going to be a theme here. I want to see if you could pick up on it. It was accidental that I noticed. But my pick is Auntie from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Is the theme Rick Moranis? It is not. It is not yet. That'd be a good one, though. Okay. Okay, so I picked... You're not allowed to guess a theme when you've only got one thing in the pattern. Well, That's like I, just crazy. I'm going to prime you for it so you can be thinking okay. about it. All right. Okay. I'm just trying to do a good job. <laughs> I'm real worried. So I picked I picked Ante at first because he plays with that giant bug idea that I was talking about. But then I watched a clip of Ante uh, from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and I remembered something else about him. If you look up anything about this character, you'll see the top comments and the comment sections are just flooded with, this always makes me cry. This made me cry. This ruined my childhood. I'm traumatized. Oh, no. I think people remember Auntie from the film. You know, you remember the giant ant that they encounter in the yard, but you don't remember what he does in the story. Do you remember this? No. So, you know the premise. So, Rick Moranis shrinks his children in real life down and throw, <laughs> throws them out in the trash. Yeah, yes. And, and, they, and then they fight bugs and obstacles and stuff to get back to the house. Well, they encounter Auntie because they find this giant cookie in the yard and they fight him for it. And by the way, more disturbing than the ant it was how gross they were when they were eating that cookie. It was all over their face and stuff. That sounds I just terrible. Hate that. Yeah. I may have never seen this movie. I don't really? know if I ever have. It's pretty good. Uh, actually, one of the interesting things about it was that the producers of the movie were really scared of the, using the ant character because they thought it'd be too scary. Because the director for this was actually the director for Reanimator, but when he had kids, he wanted to do a kids movie and he couldn't <laughs> help himself. So anyway, they're playing with this fifty. 50- Are you telling me that we could have had Honey I Shrunk the Kids starring Jeffrey Combs? <laughs> Probably. That would be a whole alternate dimension. I shrunk them and it's fine. <laughs> 
<laughs> Dear Lord, if I could turn back time, as Cher would say. Well, they're playing with that like 50-foot bug uh, trope, but then they tame the bug, and he follows them around like a dog, and uh, he sort of gives a life to like this like individualism to the ant that you don't usually think about like that. And he defends the kids from a giant scorpion while they're trapped in some Legos. And he gives his life to defend them in this kids movie. That's And terrible. it's very sad. I'm sad just hearing about it. And he was it. really cute and he made lots of little, little cooing, little noises and stuff like that. He was like their dog. He was like a pet. And I think it made a lot of little boys think twice about how they treat bugs and especially burning ants. And especially whether you should pee on them. <laughs> right. Yes. Well, Remember, may, Auntie. Maybe, maybe the peeing was wrong. Yeah. Maybe, we should, maybe that was a bridge too far. I want to say it did make a difference in how much I messed with ants when I was a kid. And I kind of had that OCD personifying thing issue. And so I, it's hard not to think about Auntie. I do feel a little weird about killing bugs. And it's probably because of Auntie, I think. Well, a lot of bugs are, are good guys for the environment. So, you know, Auntie, you were a real bro and an educator and a bro. Number seven. Who is this woman? I think it's Diane Parkinson. And what's his name? That's Zorak. Does he scare you? No, this is a grasshopper. I'm a mantis. You're a locust. Look me up. I'm a mantis. Locar is the locust. Say, you are a mantis. All right, my first pick, and also one of your more cuddly and fun bugs, because it's going to get gross in this countdown later, maybe, a little bit. Yeah, we're building up. Yeah. Oh, okay, <laughs> just, just so you all know, we're still on the warm and cuddly side. Yeah. I have, da 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 made my own music, Zorak. From Space Ghost, Coast to Coast, and Cartoon Planet. Yeah. I, yes. This had to be on your list. This had to be on my list for, for many reasons. But, all right. So, if you're unfamiliar, uh, Space Ghost was a Hanna-Barbera cartoon property in the 60s. And he was just like a weird adult man, ghost, underpants, intergalactic crime fighter. And then he had several run-of-the-mill villains. And mm -hmm. Zorak was one of his villains there. He's like an intergalactic mantis uh -huh. warlord. Kind of a deal. Well, in the 90s, uh, Space Ghost Coast to Coast, they decided, you know, this was a great time for irony and all that good stuff. And so they decided to make a talk show where Space Ghost is now imprisoned, doing a talk show, and then he has Zorak as his prisoner, and Zorak is forced to be his band leader in, from a prison pod. And so their dynamic is really, really funny. Uh, because basically, uh, he's like an antagonistic Paul Schaefer. Uh huh. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, he's even got something with that hunched over the keyboard thing. Yeah, and, and sometimes he begrudgingly plays his keyboard. They have him play <laughs> a little musical cue or whatever, but then mostly he just interrupts and he's rude. And he was also on like a fully cartoon based show, Cartoon Planet, that did not have the talk show elements. Um, but that was still of the time really, really. I want to say it was very 90s for all of the reasons that you would imagine. But then also, I want to say that it was meme culture kind of before its time, if that makes any sense. Because um, just a, a lot of the gags would really, really fly like on TikTok today. Mm -hmm. I th do you ever think that there are some shows that really just kind of missed the boat in terms of what platform they were on? Um, they would do really good in like short form uh -huh. media. Like I think... Uh, the Tim and Eric awesome show, just for example, mm -hmm. would be amazing 
for TikTok as a platform had that existed when they did it instead of it needing to be like a 30-minute HBO show yeah. or whatever it <laughs> for was. For one thing, you can't digest it all at that time, but also it would really benefit from like the provenance of it being a mystery, I think, because you're like, this is just so strange. Yeah, I just need to what know is what, this? Yeah. You know? And um, I, I do feel that Space Ghost was kind of a little before its time, too. But, I mean, it was hysterical. They had a couple of really good gags that I loved Zorak for. Um, one of them was that he always blinked out loud. Mm -hmm. And when you just, every time they cut to him, you could always just hear his blinking out loud for comedic effect and also in disbelief. And then the other great gag that he did was whenever he got embarrassed or just couldn't even handle it because everybody was getting on his nerves, they would just cut to him in his little music desk and he was flipped upside down. Uh -huh. Just like his like the character tune was rotated upside down and his feet were sticking I forgot up the about desk. That. Yeah. It was a really good gag. And um, I mean, anyway, there's not even much more to say about it except that I loved it. And I have very fond memories of uh, Space Ghost because it was something that I used to watch with my friends every Friday night. Mm -hmm like at midnight when it came on and just some warm and fuzzy good 90s memories about a bug about a bug about a, a mantis although brack was my guy That's i mean brack was my guy on space ghost but i still <laughs> love zorak too uh, another buggy uh, a buggy character on that show was uh the tom york episode was really good speaking of buggy people <laughs> Yeah, they had a lot of good guests. Yeah. They Tom had a York, lot of good guests. Tom York and Bjork, I think, were very good and episodes. I, yeah, and they, and they had people like Bob Odenkirk and Ben mm -hmm. Stiller on, and it was just like this great crash course in, in 90s culture. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Moltar and I were worried sick. Yeah. I hate this tape. It's got a beat. Number six. The Insectoids. We were fortunate. He also started a civil war between our species. Okay, is there anything more glorious than a giant insect on a view screen? Um. <laughs> if you answered no, <laughs> then yes, you are right. Now, so I want to talk about... The Zindi Insectoids, who first appeared on the show Star Trek Enterprise in 2003. Uh, you're picking from Enterprise. That is a... Oof, oof. You heard me talk about oof. Enterprise. You know how I feel about how good and underappreciated Enterprise is, especially the season with the Insectoids. Is that uh, Faith of the Heart? Is that that one? Yes, yeah. it is. Yes, and it by is. Diane Warren? Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so, you know, one of the things we always pick on Star Trek about are, or one thing's people pick on Star Trek about is what I call like the Shakespeare aliens. These are the aliens that don't really look like aliens. They just sort of like have some forehead makeup or something they did. They don't look like graylings or anything like that. And they just were like really bum me out. Like when you turn on the view screen and it's them. So like, you might as well be on this ship. What are we doing exploring? You look, you just, there's nothing alien going on here. Yeah, the Vest Planets. Yeah, the Vest Planets, exactly. And they're like, look, we don't have a lot of costumes. We don't have, we like, there's one of our makeup people is sick. We need some aliens on the show this week. Just put them in a vest. Exactly. That's how yes. you know it's a different culture. Yes, or, or Paul Sorvino is the guest and he refuses to wear any makeup because you can't see his acting or whatever. <laughs> I, I believe he was on a vest planet. I believe that that was the case. I'm sure happened. the acting was really memorable. <laughs> he walked through a canyon and said things to Worf. 
But we did actually get some real alien stuff on the Enterprise series, which if you don't know is set 100 years before the original series. And I'm going to say something dramatic. I love Star Trek. I've seen all the Star Treks. We watch a lot of Star Trek. But season three of Star Trek Enterprise, I think is as good a show as any of the Star Trek series. Okay. And A bold claim. I really think so. I mean... But for the same reasons that, like, Deep Space Nine was good. I know you like Deep Space Nine, but Mm -hmm. mostly because of uh, Vic Fontaine, (laughs) the hologram. (laughs) I did like Vic Fontaine. (laughs) And Nog. Uh, But Enterprise was like DS9 because that was right on the cusp of when television wasn't scared to do serialized stories. And the show really benefited from that. And in season three is when they decided to do that on Enterprise. And they featured this race... Uh, this multi-species race called the Zindi. And they're kind of like based on different animals from Earth. They have the amphibians, the arboreals, reptilians, and the insectoids. And the insectoids are the perfect space bugs. They have those, like I was talking about early, how you don't, earlier how you don't trust them. They have these inscrutable faces with the mandibles and the clicking language that gets subtitles, which I think is just some great nonsense. <laughs> I love that. And they start out as like a real threat to the humans, but maybe the more complicated than we think. I'm I'm willing to wager that's true. Then it's a good thing we already have your lunch codes. And and that's the non-superficial reason I picked them, because this is what encountering new life and civilizations is supposed to be about, because when you're talking to a Shakespeare, Paul Sorvino, you can kind of meet them halfway, but these are not Shakespeare aliens. They're terrifying, and we have to challenge our fears and quiet our instincts and embrace that good old Picard diplomacy. And I think we owe that to uh, the space insects. I think that's very much in the spirit of Star Trek. Sometimes I like to bum myself out by going (laughs) on Instagram and looking at comments anywhere that anybody wrote for any reason. (laughs) And um, I see it's kind of a common complaint. Like, I've seen some of your old guard, shall we say, uh, throwing a fit whenever... Like, I I saw somebody um, being like... I don't know why on Discovery they have to do all the weird-looking aliens. Just like, why is it always you had to show off how many weird-looking aliens you could do? And I'm like, first of all, why would you not show off all the weird-looking yeah. aliens you can do? Because we have the technology, and don't you want to see weird-looking aliens, sir? I know he just wants to see, like, I don't know, some green three ladies or something. I don't know what he wants to see, but whatever. So, okay, what do you think Star Trek is about? Because to me, that sounds like a very weird way to say you don't like diversity. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes. Just put more of the regular people on there. Have you ever seen Star Trek? You know what Star Trek is? Yes. I mean, this is the point of it. Yes. Yes, exactly. Something needs to be alien. And the Klingons in particular, who were the subject of most of that criticism, were fantastic. I mean, they look so regal and... I did. Strong. I did they, really so like what they did with the Klingon culture in uh, Discovery, mm-hmm. and I'd like to see more yeah. like that, and less of Ash. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> and the Bakul. They were great. The the real real scary uh, black ooze monsters. They were great. Yeah. Like well, them. check in. Check out our episode on ooze monsters later. I'm sure. Oh we'll yeah, think we of... should do that. We should do slimes. <laughs> slimes. Yeah, do we have slimes and sentient molds on our list? I don't of think we episodes? did. Well, we need to put. Yeah, them that's on a there. great one. Okay. All right, all boys. I hope you're liking <laughs> our uh, our stuff. But that that yeah, I was about to say, but that's a great one. But because uh, but it's not your pick; it's my pick. Yes, Will, that's that a great one. <laughs> Good job, me. So uh, I'll just I'll just close this one out by saying this is my gift 
to you if you're ever like us and be like, what's some what's some great television that I somehow missed, but I don't want to spend the energy figuring it out. I give to you, because I know you haven't tried it, start with season three of Star Trek Enterprise. Don't watch the first two seasons. You won't miss anything. You can pick up right with season three. It is some of the best Star Trek television uh, that's ever been on TV. It's just it's just great. You won't miss anything and you'll love the insects. Saturday morning, Laura went walking with Pa to look at the weed. It was almost as tall as Pa. He lifted her onto his shoulder so that she could see over the heavy bending tops. The field was greeny gold. At the dinner table, Pa told Ma about it. He said he had never seen such a crop. There were 40 bushels to the acre and wheat was a dollar a bushel. They were rich now. Okay, I'm gonna give you three words and don't groan. Okay. Laura Ingalls Wilder. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because my pick is insect swarm grasshoppers, comma grasshoppers, on the banks of Plum Creek. Okay. Laura Ingalls Wilder. This is a deep cut, but this is a good one. Okay. And I, I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to be grossed out. You're. I'm grossed out. Like I had to like re-traumatize myself mm-hmm. to like put this on the list. Okay. This is a deep cut, and if there are women my age, or actually any age, because those books get thrown at everybody, if there are women my age listening, they'll be like, yeah, that's one of them. All right, the Little House on the Prairie series, Uh right? Beloved books in these United States, because they are the uh, fictionalized account of real-life pioneer people. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, she wrote about her experiences as they traveled all over the westward expansion phase of the U.S. So this is the Michael Landon show, right? Then it was later turned into okay. a show featuring beloved actor Michael Landon. Got it, got it. Okay. Yeah. Who, Our, uh, who was who, not Knight Rider. That's David Hasselhoff. That's correct. But they that's both right. have fluffy hair. But they both have fluffy hair. Okay. You're correct. They're definitely from the same mold. Michael Landon definitely did some, some a little backcombing, yeah. a little, little teasing in that, yeah. in that glorious mane. Okay, I'm sorry. Please he tell played, me about bugs. He played Paul. I'm, tell, I'm getting to the bugs, yeah. right? Okay. So in this, in this book, On the Banks of Plum Creek, the family has gone to Minnesota, mm-hmm. and they just bought a dugout house from a nice Norwegian man. Okay, and so this is like a cop one day from retirement, diehard kind of story, because <laughs> uh-huh. Pa, the whole time with his little family, his two little, three little girls and his wife, he's like, man, we're going to plow that field, we're going to plant some wheat that wheat is going to grow it's going to be awesome when my crop comes in when that crop comes in we're going to have everything we ever wanted like Uh it's always just like when the wheat comes in this is like a rich land this is a rich land Uh now this really happened to the u.s in uh, 1873 there was a horrible swarm of locusts that actually basically devoured all of the planes. Uh-huh. All of the planes did. I remember hearing tell. And then, so, so for like four years, it was really hard for anybody to grow anything. And all these people who had just settled out west, they started going back east because they were like, screw this, right? Okay. So in the book, right when Pa has been saying, man, that wheat sure is looking tall <laughs> and beautiful. And when I go and cut that wheat and sell it to market, you're all going to have new boots. Actually, he's the one who needed new boots. Never mind. But. I'm going to read, I'm going to give you a little taste of this. Okay. Okay. All right. So they're outside. Plunk. Something hit Laura's head and fell to the ground. 
she looked down and saw the largest grasshopper she had ever seen. <laughs> then huge brown grasshoppers were hitting the ground all around her, hitting her head and her face and her arms. They came thudding down like hail. The cloud was hailing grasshoppers. The cloud was grasshoppers. That's disgusting. I love it. Yes! Now, why are they falling? I don't know a lot about them. So, Harry, I did some research. Okay. Why are they falling? Why are they falling out of the sky? Yeah. I'm going to tell you about something, okay? Okay. All right. Now, both grasshoppers and locusts, technically these were locusts. They're minute differences. Uh -huh. I'm not going to be pedantic and be like, yeah. She refers to them in the book as grasshoppers. Yeah. Tech, I just read this. I just read this. Both locusts and grasshoppers can enter what scientists call a gregarious state, which is an increase in serotonin that makes them start swarming. And they will just like kind of fly up into this big cloud and then travel long distances and then hail down and eat everything. And then when they get in that gregarious state again, Hey, we'll move on and do the same thing. So basically, all the bugs are like the Jersey Shore guys, like hanging out with their boys. They're just like getting hyped. They're like, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So Me and my guys. Woo! It is aggressive. Like they're frenzied. They're frenzied and they're having a great time being gross. So if you remember this book, you will remember her very vivid description of how, like, the grasshoppers, you'd go outside, they cling to your skin. Mm -hmm. It says, uh, uh, they looked at her with bulging eyes, turning their heads this way and that. She's like picking them off her dress. They get all up in your skirts. They're all going barefoot. So she's crunching on grasshoppers oh, everywhere she walks. And then like they get in the house. They got to brush them off the stove. They go to milk the cow. There's like grasshoppers in the milk pail. And Ma has to strain it out with a tin cup. Now I remember this tin cup. This is like you're a little girl. You are eight, nine years old. And they're like, here, little girl. Read this book about the frontier times because you love old-timey books. And then this is what you get. And you got to think about being a little girl just like yourself and then like a freaking <laughs> yes, like a plague of grasshoppers that don't go away. And she says at night in the house, they can hear them chewing outside. Oh, gross. And they eat everything, um, all the crops. Well, I, I was going to say, when you were talking about it being like a plague or whatever, I have to imagine that they must have thought it was a chance it was like biblical. Uh, yeah, that comes up. <laughs> <laughs> a bit. You know, of course, like I think in the book, there's like, uh, oh, and then Moses was t told that after they go through the hardship, they go to the land of milk and honey. Mm -hmm. So they were thinking like, after we, after this, everything's going to get great. That's what, that's how they rationalized it to themselves. But really, it was just horrible. And so anyway, I just think everybody who is a like who was a young girl read that book. And I remembered the grasshoppers above all other things, mm -hmm. including that <laughs> belly <laughs> But yeah, it's gross. It's a good one. It is fun to know that uh, bug horrors can really happen. I mean, it stuck with me, you know? Mm -hmm. I remembered this. All these years later, that's like the number one bug I thought of. Ew. Uh, what we got out there is a hundred acres of wheat ready to harvest. Come on, everybody, write that down. One hundred. And it ought to yield about, oh, 35 bushels to the acre. And right now, wheat's selling for just around 75 cents a bushel. Now, how much money is that? I've got it. So have I. $2,625. Right. It's almost too wonderful to be true. Number four. You see, 
their young enter through the ears and wrap themselves around the cerebral cortex. This has the effect of rendering the victim extremely susceptible to uh, suggestion. All right, my pick, my next pick here, I'm not even going to space these out. I don't make any apologies. My next pick is the Seti Eel from Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. <laughs> it's again with the, the Idnas with the Star Trek. Deal with it. Deal with it. Uh, is that the gross ear ear thing that goes in your ear? That's exactly right. Yeah. And then Ricardo Montalban has his shirt in his I chest. I knew you were going to talk about this. I knew this is the one thing. It's that the you're... one thing from that movie. <laughs> it's the only thing. Ricardo Montalban's glorious chest. I mean, I just think that that's a hilarious look in fashion, and I yeah. would just like to see it come back. <laughs> I would just like to see us wear shirts that like just like the top middle of your pectoral muscles i'm really glad you didn't disappoint because i was going to ask you what you remember about this and i, I had underlined make sure to ask her about ricardo montalban so i'm glad that <laughs> i'm glad that you did uh, so you know those stories in the news about some man who didn't know there was a worm living behind his eyeball or something so if you like those then you're probably a big fan of a the lot of people Seti eel yeah a lot of people love those stories <laughs> i do i share them with friends when i see them see them come up so i'm going to give you a little backstory if you don't remember the whole deal about uh con and in star trek so in the original series the star the star trek crew the enterprise crew banishes ricardo montalban to the planet of seti alpha five mm-hmm. ricardo montalban uh personally as one does yes uh a nearby planet explodes uh while he's down there which ravages his planet He's, he goes crazy and wants revenge. And so in the movie, which is 15 years later, Kirk sends down Chekhov. If you don't watch Star Trek, he's the young guy on the crew. Although by this time, he's definitely not young. And Captain uh, Terrell to investigate. And Khan puts this uh, small little uh, slug-like eel into their ears to control their minds. Do you remember what these things looked like? They were, they were I mean, I don't, I don't even know if I'd call it a bug. Because it's more of a, it's more of your your slime family. Your well, they are slimy, squiggly, biggly. The the adult ones are sort of uh, spiny, uh, crawling snail things. But he pulls the baby ones um, out of the spines of its back. They're like little um, slugs, Ew. and they live in, and it lives in a terrarium. And so you probably remember from the movie what happens with them, where uh, Khan has the little uh, tongs and he he lets them uh, go into those uh, crew members' ears. Eventually, t- uh, Captain Terrell disintegrates himself to stop the mind control, and that makes the eel fall out of uh, Chekhov's head. And this is like the, some of the best real bug terror I could think of, like that primal personal invasion thing I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the same bug guy who did Creatures for Return of the Jedi who did these, and he managed to inch them along with uh, wires and stuff to make them especially creepy and disgusting. I was reading, they actually had a model of Chekhov's ear to like show real close it going in, but it was so upsetting to test audiences, they cut it from they the just, Nobody even wanted to see that. <laughs> yeah. It, it really does tap into something like, like I was saying, something primal, I think. Like, I had never had anything like that happen, but I've had lots of ticks from living in the woods and stuff. <laughs> uh, Rebecca, ticks, have you had ticks? Just, what kind of question is that? I'm a lady. I've never had a tick. <laughs> yeah, that's probably know. for the best. No, I pull them off the dog. No, it's a thing. Anyway, I, I love I love the SETI eel, and I and I love Ricardo Montalban. Um, so I just want to leave you with this. I when I was reading about the SETI eel, I saw this 
uh, quote from Gene Roddenberry, who now I know is my kind of man. He didn't think Kirk should have killed the eel when it fell out of Chekhov's head. Uh, because it's a new life form that should have been studied. And he said they had Kirk act like an old woman trampling on a tarantula. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. That's exactly the spirit of Star Trek. I love yeah. it. No, I get it. That's that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, even gross life is interesting and should be protected. Yes. Unless it crawls in your ear. Thank you for saying that about me. <laughs> <laughs> Number three. Well, well, well. What have we here? Santa Claus, huh? Ooh, I'm really scared. So you're the one everybody's talking about. <laughs> My number three pick. I chose Oogie Boogie from The Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, okay. Be I wouldn't have thought of that. See, I know. That's why I'm so clever over here. Because he is a burlap sack full of insects. So he's kind of like a super organism of, yeah. of bugs. Um, it, he's in, obviously, The Nightmare Before Christmas. That's like his great 10 minutes of screen time. But he's also in the Kingdom Hearts games, apparently. Oh, like I didn't know like that. That makes the, me want to play it. Well, you know how to... Can you play as him? I don't I, know. No, I think he's a bad guy. All right. I know. <laughs> See, well, and that's the whole problem with Disney, right? All of their most interesting characters yeah. are like... I want to be him. It was like last week I was talking about in Hocus Pocus. Like, yeah, no, the, the, the stars of the movie, the witches. It's like, no, the, the protagonist is some dumb kid. Yeah, I want to play a game where you're Ursula and you just walk across a ship deck flinging people into the sea or something. That sounds great. Yeah. It would just be like that Assassin's Creed game that you were playing. Uh, which one is that? Black, oh, Black Flag. Black yeah. Flag. And like, you know, you're Ursula and then you can point your cannons at other ships and take them over. Oh, that'd be awesome. And she launches like a giant tentacle and just rips them off the bow. <laughs> that would be amazing. Oh, that's great. But that, I mean, besides that being my one obvious gripe with Disney all the time, he is a great villain. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's not even, like, tons to say about him. I mean, he was the one who engineered the scheme to kidnap Santa Claus, uh -huh. you know, in, in, in The Nightmare Before Christmas. And for some reason, he has, like, a gambling theme. And I think they just wanted to zhuzh up his character yeah. a little bit. Because I was sitting here wrecking my brain. I'm like, okay, he's a, he's a big pile of insects in a burlap bag. And he has a snake tongue. And spiders come out of his mouth. And uh -huh. he has one insect that, like controls his consciousness because when you when i think jack stomps on it or whatever that's what kills him oh right? yeah okay so, so it is like a whole hive or something yeah he's like he's a whole hive unto himself yeah and so that's all fantastic maybe he's a woman maybe that was the queen maybe so maybe we've misgendered him all these yeah. years interesting but like and, and and so i just feel that the whole decision to give him the gambling theme with all the roulette wheels was just so they could give him a big las vegas showstopper song yeah, number yeah. it has nothing to do with bugs thematically it means nothing yeah. it does not mean anything in halloween town but it is absolutely fantastic and it's one of those where you're like why be the main character and go blah 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 for 2 hours when you can be the guy who shows up for one song 10 minutes and you're the most you memorable the show. memorable yeah. part. Yeah, you steal the whole show. Yeah, that's a great one. God, that's a forgot he's a whole colony of bugs. That's a, that's such a great thing to think about. I just <laughs> want to have a moment with it. <laughs> now look what you done. Number two. 
as quick. There's been an accident. The new Autobots are Monster Bots. They're monsters, all right. Decepticons! Monster Bots, attack! I'm glad those monsters are on our side. The Transformers more, much more than And they've even got sparks blasting out of them. You can't stop the Monster Bots. The Transformers Okay, coming off of that one, it gives me great pleasure to talk to you about Repugnus from the original Transformers cartoon. (laughs) (laughs) It Uh, is my honor. (laughs) He's an Autobot and one of the Monster Bots, Rebecca. Okay, thank you, thank you. Uh, Please prepare room in your mind for Repugnus' backstory. Please get rid of something important. All right, this is some calculus I learned long ago. Yes, and put Repugnus there. So the commercial for his toy kind of tells the story. Uh, Cup, who's kind of like man-at-arms for the Transformers, is working in his lab, as he does, and he accidentally makes some monsters, and the Decepticons are mean to the monsters, and so they become good guys, which is just a great kid story to understand how it happened. <laughs> the new Autobots are monster bots. I'll talk a little bit about he, how he looks, and I, I just have some stuff to say about Repugnus, but the toy of him, he reminded me of a hamburger. He had like a patty-shaped head that was like salami-colored, and it had like mandibles on the side. And uh, he had uh, like tomato or ketchup-colored hands and a big mustard-yellow body. I just always thought of a hamburger when I looked at him. But the the best part of this toy was that this was uh, like the golden age of dangerous fire toys, and so you pumped a button on his head like soap and sparks shot out of his mouth. Like, real far. It was a really good spark toy. I really <laughs> I really liked that one. Okay. But the, uh, one of the main reasons I want to talk about him, because I'd, I'd, I'd just almost forgotten about this, is how I got him. I got him at a yard sale when I was really young. I think this toy came out in 87. I, I must have been, like, four or five at the time. I remember this very clearly because it was very weird. My mom pulled over, and she bought this box of used toys and that had a bunch of Transformers in it. And while she was browsing in the yard, she just sat me in the car with this box of Transformers she just bought me. But then while I'm playing with them, uh, I just feel somebody looking at me, like, from the side of the window, and there's this boy there. (laughs) And um, the boy was the former owner of these Transformer toys. And he's out in the yard while they're selling his stuff, and he's like, I just want you to know you're getting some great toys. Oh, God! And then he starts telling me about them, and then slowly that turns into him playing with them. And then he gets this look in his eye where he's like, I mean, can I keep one? (laughs) And it's like, danger, second thoughts happening. And then, like, I don't even remember how it's reconciled, but, like, I think the moms came and sorted some things out because they saw, like, what is he doing over there? We talked about this. And then the toy was, like, kind of broken, like Repugnus was missing arms and legs and stuff, but he was still kind of cool. But you loved him anyway. Yeah. And so I felt bad for the kid because... I feel bad for the kid 35 years later. (laughs) Yeah. It definitely made an imprint on my mind that, I mean, that was as early as I could possibly have memories, and I still remember it. And I, I have a problem with, like, personifying objects and stuff too. So I, I really feel feel for it. And I loved this guy, but it was always kind of tainted by the memory of this. and never felt truly my This poor boy. <laughs> but it was awesome. So I think the delight and disgust I felt from this toy means it's a great bug. <laughs> <laughs> I think 
Okay, parenting pro tip. Don't sell your child's <laughs> treasured possessions in front of yes. them to other children. I mean, he probably wasn't playing with the rejected, dirty torso with arms missing from this non-transforming transformer anymore. But still, don't give it to another child. Well, speaking in of primal of things, that tickles something in some child's head when you take the ball and give it to the other child. It sounds like she should have just, like, trashed it or something. I mean, whatever. Yeah, I think, I think so. Mom was trying to make a buck for Christmas. Yes, he was having trouble transforming into a grown boy because of that. <laughs> <laughs> Those sparks were really great. Okay, before we name our top insect, we feel compelled to list some honorable mentions. Oh, is it my turn to talk about bugs again? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, should yeah, you I have said that? Yeah, I think it is. I think because the thing is, uh, in my mind, in the script, is polite for the host to let the other person well, that's, go first. Well, that's good that it works for you that way. <laughs> um, I want to mention the Clackon from Masters of Orion. They're another bug on the view screen. Uh, okay. The Masters of Orion was that great PC game where you do, like, space diplomacy. All right. They're great. Also, I just want to give a shout out to the real cow killer ant, which we had a lot when I was growing up. Do you have cow killer ants? No, I did not live in the wasteland of <laughs> South Georgia. I think they used to also call these velvet bugs. They're like wasps without wings. They have a really powerful bite. It's like high on the pain index. And a buddy of mine got bit at Boy Scouts. You are not allowed to put real bugs in the countdown. <laughs> that is not allowed. <laughs> um, I forbid it. I forbid the cow killer ant the uh the uh, where's my gong the bug queen from the codex alaris series the zerg queen from uh starcraft and i also just want to call out the um the bug from temple of doom that climbed up kate capshaw's arm when she had to press the button that was a good one <laughs> you had a brief but memorable career <laughs> lives on our hearts to it to that i would add the formix from the ender saga although in a previous yeah. episode we said orson scott card is a turd we can't really acknowledge him yeah we think he got rep rep replaced in some science thing yes yep. uh the 1980s wwe tag team the killer bees a pair, oh, of, pair, yeah. of, pair of baby faces with some Funny. yellow and and black striped striped shorts they weren't even shorts they were briefs let's be real <laughs> Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to Ant-Man because he didn't yeah. make our list, but you know. And his ant that he rode was great. Anthony. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That enjoyable. And then of course, one final shout out to Cazadors. Yeah. New Vegas. Yeah. Although they don't make the top of the list. Oh, that reminds me. Can I say one for you? Okay. <laughs> what about the Silt Strider in Morrowind? Is that a bug? Yeah, it's a That's flea. It's like a big horse. It's a flea. Oh, I can't talk about Morrowind. I just did the other okay. day. Okay, all right. That's such a great list. <laughs> Anybody else? Any buggy else? I, <laughs> that's <laughs> enough for now. That's enough for now. So, uh, so what's your number one bug? We've been on a long buggy journey together in the buggy, and now I'm bugging out waiting to hear your bug choice. Number one. Without these things, I am nothing. So now I must shed innocent blood. Come with me. All right, coming in at number one, we pick 
the bee swarm attached to Candyman. Oh, 1992. Cool. Yeah, you yes. like swarms. Can't, I do that like is, swarms. That is your theme, I think. Okay, we'll, we're going to talk about that later. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, let's hear about it. Ta- you're trampling on my number sorry, one sorry, pick sorry, here. Sorry, 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 sorry. All right. So let's. this is a really great take on just the slasher genre. I'm not even a fan of slashers, but uh-huh. this is a good one for several reasons we'll discuss. And I'll try not to go on and on about it. But um, it was based on a short story by Clive Barker. But when they made this film, the actual actors were sort of encouraged to come up with their own backstory. And that's where we get this really interesting um, character. Not, was not where the character design comes from, but that's where we get this socially charged backstory. And as Tony Todd, who played Candyman, mm-hmm. described it, the protagonist was once the scion of a rich black family in 1870 Chicago. Having gained fame for his portraits, he's commissioned to paint Helen, the ravishing daughter of a wealthy landowner, and then blah, 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 they do grown-up things, they fall in love, but of course the townspeople are infuriated Uh because this is 1870s Chicago, and um, it brings the city's wrath down on Granville, the, the character, cutting his right painting hand off with a rusty blade, and then the lynch mob covers his naked body with honey, cheering as he's stung to death by bees. This Uh is the description from Tony Todd, who played uh, Candyman with a plum. And so the character design is hook hand and bees. Bees everywhere. Bees come around when he's there. He's a great... You don't even want to call him the villain, because he is a villain. Obviously, he's like the killer in the movie. Right. But um, it's a great character design, and he also has this other thing in his command, which is his very hypnotic voice. Like, hypnotism is sort of a theme Mm -hmm. uh, throughout, too. Oh, almost like the droning of bees or something. Well, sure, yeah. And and it's like, um, he's one of those villains who, as long as you're saying my name, then I will live on, right? Uh Because that's the whole thing. If you don't believe in Candyman, then... Um, he'll come find you if you say his name five times in a mirror. Oh, that's interesting. You know what? I've never really thought about that. Is that sort of like a thing about, you know, not forgetting history? Exactly. Yeah. And that's that's one of the reasons why this take on the story um, was really sort of some charged social commentary at the time. That wasn't part of the conversation as much. I mean, as much, right? And yeah. especially it's not coming, like people aren't expecting it in a, what, a silly slasher uh-huh. movie. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, they, they touch on other themes, too. Like, um, you know, the main character is, a, she's a white graduate student, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a whole bunch of, like, like touching on things like the white savior narrative and um, issues like gentrification mm-hmm. and urban blight and so on and so forth. But um, you'll also not be surprised to know that they're remaking it and Jordan Peele is going to be the writer for it. Which, if they're remaking it, I'm glad it's him in charge of it. But this was a good film that needs no remakes, (laughs) shall we say. And uh, here's some just fun facts about Candyman. There's the famous scene in the film where... um, he is having an encounter with the, the main character and he opens his mouth and the bees come out of his mouth, right? This is this really, really arresting image. Yeah. And unlike the wax model ear of Chekhov, yeah. <laughs> where they couldn't even show the close-up, Tony Todd took several for art. He took one for the team. He took 23 for the team because he negotiated a deal where every time he got stung by a bee, he would get paid a thousand dollar bonus. Oh my god! Over the course of the film, he got stung twenty three oh times. My god. But he was like, "I need to do this for the art because this is a really important part of the character, right? Yeah. Like, I need to be like, I need to have the bees coming out of my mouth." And um, 
It wasn't even just in that scene, but just throughout the film. 23 of these things. no idea. That really uh, that really puts you more on edge watching it. I know. Yeah, no, this was real. Wow. This is like some dangerous filmmaking here. I yeah. mean, well, you know, if you were allergic to bee stings. But, but um, that's like, like number one because the insects are part of the character, part of the myth. Um, that's a good film. It though. is. That's, that's a good a film. That's a great one. And with that, I think uh, that's a pretty good list. And I'm not, and I didn't get too grossed out. I got a little grossed out with, you know, some things in the middle, ear yeah. earbugs. But mostly, I'm just like that was solid. Yeah, the horror and delight. I did, I did notice a cup, uh, a couple of things from from each of us. One thing I noticed from you is you like swarms. Yeah. You like multiple. You like colonies of them. You like the hive thing. I think probably because they were tied to representing something well, socially. Teamwork is how we get further in life. <laughs> yeah. You know. For me, I would say I pick bugs that are sympathetic, where I, there's some sympathy involved with the bug and meeting their alienness halfway or something. I yeah. Think, I think. I just love it. Um, you're going to get mad at me, but can I just mention... <laughs> oh, my God. Can I just mention uh, the Terminix uh, Pest Control website has some great information about prehistoric bugs. I have no idea why. Okay, well, shout out to Terminix, I guess. Yeah, I just want to tell you about one bug I saw. It was no. like one of the largest ones. Uh this was in the Carboniferous period. The Arthropleura was a uh, nine feet long millipede. And it looked like the bottom of a street sweeping truck. It was the most disgusting thing I had ever seen, and it was just an illustration. Well, now you can write a sci-fi story where those are strapped to the bottom of a cart, and then they're used as street sweepers. I love that. I love that. So go to the Terminix website. Oh, it's, it's great. So, Will, on this <laughs> script that I'm looking at, nowhere does it say... <laughs> Will gets to share an extra bug fact. <laughs> There's well, nowhere else to put it in. But I thought about mentioning it there, one of your picks, but I thought it'd be rude. <laughs> it'd be invading your pick like a bug. <laughs> uh, if you have thoughts about this list or any just bugs you want to tell us about, why don't you email us at rumors at thewizardsnightshirt.com or tell us about those bugs on social media and we might share some of your thoughts and bug facts on the next episode. Uh, Rebecca, where can people follow us? You can find us on Twitter or Instagram or visit thewizardsnightshirt.com to find out about this show and our other shows, such as Curdle Holler, our original Halloween comedy series, as well as a complete archive of our Masters of the Universe review show. Or come sit with me Wednesdays at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on my weekly music production stream at twitch.tv slash Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week when we call forth new champions. The legends they tell of a hero Facing down fears and cutting down foes There's no resemblance to what you know When your own deeds feel humble